Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello and welcome to episode 127 of the Osh Gensberg podcast. I'm Osh Gensberg. Thank you so much for being here. This episode features entrepreneur, CEO, author, Jack DeLosa. You can find him on Twitter at J-A-C-K-D-E-L-O-S-A. Let him know that you heard him here. Uh, this episode, this show, is brought to you by the very good people who have supported this show through Patreon. Patreon.com slash Osher, O-S-H-E-R, is a way that you can support the show and uh, help make sure that I can get episodes to you each and every week as um, things are going well in my life, things are going great uh, career-wise, uh, which means that things like this, this podcast, um, now has to, I've got to put on my big boy pants and get serious and you know treat it like the the business that I want it to be. So um, I kind of I kind of need to hire someone to help me do it properly. So that's why uh, Andy's come on board and he's only been able to do it because so many people have come on board and helped me out. Uh, so if you contribute at least five dollars to the Patreon, uh, you get access to exclusive episodes. There's already a conversation with James Matheson up there, and this month to say thank you for supporting the show. There's a conversation with Ash London. She's already been on the show, uh, but she and I have a fantastic conversation about um, well, pretty much. She had the dream TV job. She had the dream radio job. She's young. She's pretty. She's smart. She's funny. And she quit everything. And so we talk about that. Why? And what happened next? And we also talk about that she had a crisis of faith. You heard on the last show that she was on with me that she's quite open about her faith. And she had a crisis of faith. And we talked about that. And it's a fascinating chat, and I'm thrilled that I can I can bring it to you. Uh, speaking of things to listen to, there's two other things I hope you can listen to this week. Andrew Denton's Better Off Dead. Andrew Denton is an extraordinary journalist, presenter, uh, TV producer, film producer here in Australia. Um, 
radio host. He's a big hero of mine. Um, he's done an entire very fascinating documentary podcast about um, voluntary euthanasia. It is incredible. Put it in your playlist immediately. Better Off Dead with Andrew Denton. I listened to it driving to and from Batch. It's a, a remarkable piece of documentary journalism. I'm very grateful for uh, that he did it. And um, the other thing that I'm listening to this week is Matt Corby's new record. It's bananas. It's bananas. Sexiest thing I've heard in a long time. It's really good stuff. Uh, so I hope you enjoy that. Uh, how was your week? Are you okay? I should check in. Um I have had a couple of rough days uh, in there in this week. Things are a bit bumpy for me at the moment. As you know, the change in meds is starting to kick in slowly. The damn things don't work very quickly. But, yeah, things are getting a little easier uh, day by day. been getting back on the bike as much as I can. That is helping a lot. I've been lifting weights again, which is humbling because my body just goes, you're not lifting this week. We'll forget everything. Um, so I'm also trying to eat as clean as I can as well. And all these little things do help. I'm trying to take care of the things that I can control and leave the things that are beyond my control to the universe. It's easy to say. Uh, it's harder to put into practice, but that is what I try to tell myself to do because um, if I just control the things that I can control, everything's a little easier. Unfortunately, um, when I am having difficult days, it does affect those around me, uh, including Audrey, the uh, beautiful, delightful woman that I am engaged to marry. Um Sometimes I just don't feel like talking. I know this might be surprising to you considering I talk out loud for a living on radio, on television, on your phone right now. But sometimes I don't feel like talking. Sometimes I just want to sit and sometimes I just want to be quiet, particularly after I've just been in a very busy environment with a lot of stimulation where I'm talking with a lot of people or being surrounded by a lot of people. Sometimes I just need time to decompress or have time to process what's going on. And so the other day, Audrey was, she was just calling. She wanted to ask me some logistical things about, you know, uh, something for dinner and, you know, who's going to pick up the kid from dancing, that sort of thing. But I didn't quite know how to tell her that I wasn't in a very chatty mood. So instead, um, <laughs> I'm embarrassed to tell you, but I'll tell you that I slipped into um, petulant three-year-old mode and I became a spoilt little toddler and I became all terse with her. I guess somewhere in my brain, I was hoping that if she heard that I didn't want to talk, she would go, oh, sorry, I'm bothering you and hang up. But instead, all I did was push her away and, and talk to her in a way that did not reflect, does not reflect at all how I feel about her and certainly talk to her in a way that she does not deserve to be talked to. It was a shitty thing to do. And it took me a while to figure out that the icky feeling in my tummy was because of something that I had done. Because for the first few minutes after the conversation, I was like, well, she shouldn't do this and she shouldn't do that. But I know enough to know that when things do bother me, as much as I want to be the one who's right, I've kind of got to ask, what's my part? What's my part in this? Once I asked that, it was all very clear. But it became very clear and I had to humbly approach her with my hat in my hand and ask her once again. Uh, Ask her once again for some forgiveness around that sort of stuff, just for being an asshole. Um, it's difficult though, because sometimes I can't stop it, but it does happen. Um, thankfully, she's an extraordinarily understanding woman, and uh, I hope I haven't run out her patience just quite yet. Oh boy! So I guess this week has been about seeing what my part in things is and seeing how much I've got to do with what's coming back towards me. Does that make sense? 
especially as things are a bit abrasive in my head at the moment. Like if the world is feeling a bit abrasive, is it because I'm pushing abrasive out into the world? So I'm just trying to look at that this week. Um, I did want to say thanks to everybody that wrote in through the week. Send Osher email at gmail.com. I read everyone. Thank you so much for writing and reaching out, just saying, hey, your words of advice, your words of support, um, your words of reflection are really wonderful. They make my day every single time. Also, thanks heaps to everyone that just said g'day on Snapchat this week. That's heaps of fun. I like Snapchat. It's becoming more and more fun to me. So I should tell you about my guest today. I am stoked, stoked beyond measure to bring you this one because I've been sitting on it for quite a while. We had this conversation late last year, but um, it was in anticipation, I guess, um, of the release of the book I'm about to tell you about. Jack DeLosa is an incredibly successful Australian entrepreneur by the age of, I think he was about 27. He'd amassed a fortune of over $25 million through his various startup ventures, included, including his latest uh, public-facing project, The Entourage, which is a, a business education company that teaches business in a way that universities don't. And having been to one of these uh, schools, I am all for it. Uh, Jack is, as you'll hear, very passionate about, about changing the face of education in the world. Jack's, I guess Jack's one-line story is that he's the kid who dropped out of uni to become a millionaire by his early 20s. He's already written one book, Unprofessional, and he's about to launch his new book. It's called Unwritten, Reinvent Tomorrow. Um, you can pre-order the book at reinvent-tomorrow.com. Uh, reinvent-tomorrow.com is where you can uh, get more information about the book. Uh, but you'll hear in this conversation that it's pretty easy to tell why the entourage, where the CEO that Jack founded, he's the CEO of the entourage, has been voted one of the best places to work in Australia because Jack's energy and passion for leaving the world in a better place than he found it is absolutely palpable. I'm really grateful that I had the time to speak with Jack. I'm grateful I can bring you this conversation. It's a cracker. I'm really proud of it. If you do like what you hear, just let Jack know. You heard him on Twitter uh, at J-A-C-K-D-E-L-O-S-A. That would do me a, a world of good. And just let other people know about the episode if you think it's good. Uh, but, yeah, let's get into it. I'm thrilled that I can bring you this one. Uh, come and enjoy a, a lovely afternoon right on Sydney Harbour in the delightful home is a delightful home it was indeed, of Mr. Jack DeLosa. G'day, Jack. Mate, thank you for having me. Are you kidding me? I'm in your house. <laughs> you are in my house. Now, I think we should have recorded that first 15 minutes of the discussion we just had. Well, I did. Uh, Good. But that may be air on a special Mate, episode. Yeah, that's right. You know what? We'll time Secret capsule exclusive. that. In three years from now, yeah, yeah. I'll, t- I'll flash back. When your predictions have proven correct. Or incorrect. I'm, I'm, happy to, I'm, I'm backing you. I'm always happy to say I get things wrong. I think it's very, very important to admit very quickly when you got it wrong and how can I learn from that. I, I think that's the only, that. I only I way. I just think your argument was quite convincing. <laughs> that's my secret ability though. <laughs> you and me both. I'm quite convincing. <laughs> you and me both. <laughs> Even when it's bullshit. <laughs> that is an important skill. I'm good in the room, Jack. Because everybody <laughs> is making it up as they go along. <laughs> so without disclosing... Actual GPS location information. Could you tell folks who are listening where we are? So we are in my place in Mossman, um, north Mossman, sort of just near the Spit Bridge, um, overlooking the beautiful ocean. In Sydney, yeah. From here, if I look, uh, there's a um, 
Uh, I'm looking straight at the, at the Tasman Sea. You can see through the headlands from here. There you go. Yeah. Your description was better than mine. It's pretty fancy. So when the, when the swell's big, does it break downstairs? There's it's a, really, it's a bay out here. It's yeah, there's a little bit, there's a little point on the corner. That's right. Can you paddle out there or not? You, well, occasionally I do. Occasionally I jump on the kayak. Oh, nice. It's quite the workout. Yeah, it would be. Yeah. Because that swell can come through those heads. It can. They yeah. cancel the manly ferry I, sometimes. I tend not to jump in the kayak when there's swell. No. I'm not that, I'm not that brave. Are we far from where you grew up? We are actually because I'm a Melbourne boy. Right. We're up in Melbourne. What part? Uh, Elwood for the most part. Oh, my brother used to live there. Went to a school in Brighton, of all places. Um, so, you know, I was the poorest boy in the richest suburb, which oh, probably contributed a little yeah. bit to, uh, to my hunger. Being exposed to other kids that have got stuff that you haven't can be difficult for anyone. When did you realise that that was the case? Yeah, it was, it was, it was interesting. And, and you're absolutely right. And I think, I think that upbringing probably added to my hunger in my early years and, and, and the ambition that I had. I remember as a kid going over to friends' houses for playdates. I was like, this is a museum. Yeah, yeah. Oh, dude, particularly in Brighton, right? Like there's some incredible houses and most of my friends lived in them. <laughs> and I definitely didn't. Uh, you know, I remember walking to some houses and thinking they were hotels that were so big. Yeah. Um, and and what, was int- what was really interesting for me is about the age of 18, I started dating this girl called Ash and um, – her, I remember walking into her house. Her house was the hotel one. I was like, yeah, okay, her, her father must be an incredible lawyer or an incredible accountant or something. And I remember walking in and uh, he said, Jack, you know, come upstairs, I want to have a chat to you. And, and we, we had a bit of a chat. And what I determined um, from talking with him, his name was Rod Butters, at the, president who was, uh, at, the, at the time he was president of St Kilda Football Club. And uh, what I determined was he wasn't an accountant, he wasn't a lawyer. In fact, he hadn't finished high school, he hadn't gone to university. He'd sort of left school, become a labourer, decided he wanted to do something with his mind and so therefore went into sort of starting his own businesses. Uh, and he built a very successful IT recruitment business and sold that uh, a number of years earlier prior to me meeting him. Um, and so that was the first time I saw uh, a vision or an image of an adult, in adverted commas, that I wanted to emulate. Because prior to meeting Rod, every, every adult I'd ever met, I just thought was incredibly boring and stale and conservative and unopinionated and... Um, working for the man. Oh, working for the man. Even when they had heaps of money, they were still an accountant or a lawyer. And nothing wrong with being an accountant or a lawyer, but because I know a lot of really great, exceptional, uh, childlike mm. accountants and lawyers who you would go have a beer with, right? I just hadn't met any of them yet. Uh, and then, yeah, so meeting Rod was the first time. And it was the first time I was shown somebody who had become more successful than anybody else I'd seen through a non- and did it through a non-traditional path. And he was, you know, probably mid-40s but still childlike. He still had that spark. And so that was the first time, probably 15, 16, where I thought, um, you know, maybe that's a path that I could emulate. Yeah. Um, but, you know, initially uh, my family... Um, were not never wealthy, but initially uh, they we were okay. Right? We had a house, we had a couple of cars, um, and we we had food on the table, um, and that and that was true up until the point where I was probably about eight or nine years of age, um, and then my dad sort of went into not for profit sector and I th- he invested in a, in a side venture uh, and lost all, all all of his money. So uh, we went from being okay to having nothing. Still living in Brighton. How did that conversation go when you, when your folks said, hey, kids, uh, this has happened? I don't think, um, 
I don't think any of us ever minded, right? Did like, they tell you what was going on at the time as um, to why your lifestyle was shifting? There, there was conversations around we're going to need to spend less money as a family. So we, you know, we moved out of our house. We had to sell both the cars. Uh, so we, we really lost everything. It was a funny story actually. Only this last weekend, right, my dad came up to Sydney to visit me. He now lives in Dalesford. And uh, we just went down the road for brekkie and he was telling me that at one point, I didn't realise I got this bad, at one point my older brother Chris wanted to go to a concert and Dad was saying, go, 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 you know, I'll give you $40 to go to this concert tonight. Uh, and he walked over to the service station that was now over the road from where we were now living and uh, didn't have it, didn't have $40. So we genuinely <laughs> had nothing um, from, you know, growing up okay. But as I said, still, you know, they still worked hard enough and fought hard enough to keep me at, you know, a school in Brighton. Um, so very fortunate that I always had an amazing family, had parents that really cared. Because that can be really scary as a kid having, certainly moving as a kid, certainly downsizing as a kid. Yeah. You're at least aware of the energy around your folks. That's right. Being a little more nervous about things, about, yeah, we're wearing last summer's clothes or, you know, we're not going to the movies or That's stuff like right. that. It can be very frightening as a kid having that stability threatened. That's right, yeah. And it's, um, you know, the, the conversations in the later years became, you know, we, we each need to spend less and earn more, right, as, as a family unit. Yeah. And I probably had that conversation when I was around 16 or so. And so I, I'm, I'm so incredibly grateful for that, you know. Uh, Dad was speaking to my brother and I about it about a year ago and he's saying, you know, he still carries a little bit of, whatever around it, you know, guilt or, you know, whatever. And, and, and we both said the same thing. Chris and I, my brother and I said the same thing. We said that that is the best thing that ever happened to us as kids because had we not have had that experience, we'd probably still be in Brighton. And not that there's anything wrong with being in Brighton, but I'm really happy with, with, with how life has turned out and the opportunity that um, – a lack of finance gave me as a young person to pursue a non-traditional path um, and, and to really strive to be more and to create that security uh, for, for my parents. Right? A large driver for me in the early years going into business was I wanted to help my parents retire because at that point I'd had my middle brother Tom pass away as a result of drug use um, and by that stage mum and dad had split up as well. So, you know, lost money parents separate, brother dies, but mum and dad couldn't retire because we weren't, they didn't find, they couldn't financially achieve that. Um, and so at the age of, you know, 16, 17, it was where I really built a big, big hunger to start doing this sort of stuff um, so that I could help them retire. So it gave me drive. Mm. That's so tough to hear about your brother. I'm really sorry for mm. that. Mm. Addiction's a beast, man. Oh, it's a killer. It's a, were you a, like, are you okay to talk about that? Absolutely. Yeah, okay, because yeah. it affects more people than I'm. I've been sober now nearly six years. Well done, right. mate. So, well, it was that, or you know, I, or could, not. I could see where, in the words of Lao Tzu, I could see you know, be careful of the direction you're heading. You might mm. just get up there. Yep. All right, and I could. Yeah. I was really lucky, mm. and that I had a uh, a moment of oh, I, I know how this is going to end up. You must have been quite well functioning because you would have that would have been idle days and the best of us hide it very well <laughs> unfortunately we get right? very good at at, at yeah, hiding it unfortunately. yeah we get very good at hiding yeah. it uh, and and you know, I'm, I'm i'm grateful in that i i now get to live the rest of my life not being that guy 
mm. which I'm, you know, which is where all the name change and everything came from. And mm. I'm really lucky. Mm. I'm really, really lucky. But I'm, I'm, I'm really sorry to hear about that. Were you, uh, how did your parents, how early did you realize that there was something different about your brother? Um, so Tom was, Tom and I were very similar. We weren't very different to one another. He's probably the most identical person to me and vice versa. That we How far met. apart were you? Uh, he was three years older. So he okay. was 21 when he passed away. I was, not, I was 18. Oh, man. Um, but, you know, like we, he, we were very similar. He, 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 he was a huge independent thinker, um, hated authority. He was far more intelligent than I was. Um, and, he, and he demonstrated a lot of promise. Um, heroin was the drug that ultimately... Um, caused him to pass away but he but it, it, it wasn't an addiction he was using it using it socially and he, he asphyxiated um so um the only thing different about tom so he wasn't an addict right the only thing different about him was um he really uh protested against authority and and, and lived life on his own terms the exact same character traits that make someone hugely successful right particularly in 2015 um, and so that, that's another thing that drives me is <clears throat> changing education and changing the way we raise and develop young people because it's often the round pegs in the square holes. It's mm. often those that don't fit in the traditional path that demonstrate the most promise when they get out into the real yeah. world. So that, and, you know, and, the, and searching for that difference can lead people into trouble. As as happened. That's well, yeah. searching for an out, searching for something that is an non-traditional. Outlet. That's yes, right. Exactly. Yeah. Looking for that answer. Exactly. Can lead people down that path. And it often does initially, right? You meet a lot of successful people, uh, and throughout their teenage years, maybe even throughout their twenties, throughout their thirties, whatever, they've probably all been through a period not dissimilar to the one you just described or the one I'm describing of Tom, right? Um, and so it's about, you, you know, you, you will channel your creative energies, you will channel your rebellious nature, you will channel your independence of thought. It's just about whether you do it down a destructive path or mm. down a constructive path. It's, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, that's really sad to hear. I'm very, very sorry to hear that. I've, it's, it's a blink of an eye and it can, you know, yeah, that's right. it can happen to, being a young man is dangerous. That's right. You know, yeah. the stupid shit that I've done in the back of a Gemini sandpiper, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like right. Eight people in a Toyota Crawler airborne out the back of Bell Bowery, you know, just completely insane. Great memories though. Life. <laughs> terrifying, pant-shitting memories when I think about it now. It's like, what was I thinking? Yeah, I got a few of those. Oh, so... So you've had this, it's almost like a double whammy. And, you know, if you read that uh, Gladwell book, uh, David and Goliath, the last one, you know, it's almost like the double whammy. You've had the, 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 the upbringing of, yes, everything's awesome or everything's not so awesome. And then climbing back, climbing back, and then you, you lose your brother. So it's an incredible tragedy. Um, that kind of pulls the slingshot back a little further for you, would it's you say? a really good way to put it. It's a really good way to put it. Yeah, was, yeah, that's right. Yeah, often in order to project forward, you need to be pulled back. Um, yeah, there probably is a bit of that. It's funny. I do a lot of self-reflection. I've never actually thought of it or articulated it like that. That's a really interesting way to put it. Nicely done. Osh. You're on I'd fire. like to think I'm good at one or two things. <laughs> You've done this before. Maybe I you? should get a career in broadcast. <laughs> <laughs> you need to be on like television or something, Maybe. man. Maybe. We'll work something out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
But, you know, when I... Because I've done a lot of these interviews now and I've mm. chatted with a lot of people mm. and it's usually always people that have paid, found a way to get paid to do what they love. Yes. And without fail, there's that thing. Yeah. There's that thing that pulls a slingshot back. Yeah. And some people, it pulls back too far and, the, and it breaks. Yeah. But other people, it just, that's it. That's right. You know, they just gets that momentum that just catapults them. Yeah. Ido Leffler is an incredible guy. Have you met him? The guy that started Yes to Carrots? No. He's coming down to Australia in a couple of weeks. I'll yeah. introduce you to him. He's an yeah. incredible human being. Um, uh, same, same. Their family came to Australia from Israel, lost absolutely everything. His dad, com- incredible engineer, um, uh, bought a bobcat. Just dug people's swimming pool holes. <laughs> you know, they had fuck all. As you do. All right? They had absolutely nothing. And now Ito's just starts a company every 10 days or something. He's an insanely successful yeah. guy. Yeah. Wonderful guy. Really love the guy. But, but the same, same story. It's like they had it, they didn't have it, and they're like, right, that's it. Mm. Not happening again. I think, yeah, and as, as you're speaking, I'm just making notes in my... Uh, because I'm, I'm writing a book at the moment. One of the things that it looks at is the power and the value of adversity. Right? I think that uh, we experience, we can experience mm. the most personal and spiritual growth of our life during trialing times, during pe- periods of extreme adversity. Right? Should we choose to pause, stop, reflect, ask ourselves the questions, take responsibility? There's a lot of wisdom lying around when a relationship ends or when you know, we, 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 we reach a dangerous period of our life or when someone passes away or when the business fails. Or we lose a job, we have a car accident, we drop yeah. a cup, anything. <clears throat> yes, a, a, anything. Right? Dropping a cup is a great example. And you kind of, you know, it, it's, it's my view that it's through adversity that we're able to build the strength of character required to have longevity through successful periods, right? It's very Marcus Aurelius thing of you to say. Yeah. <laughs> very, very stoic, but true. You know, it's absolutely... Yeah. Yeah, that's a that, the Ryan Holiday is very much on that tip. Ryan Holiday wrote a, a book called "Trust Me, I'm Lying." Yeah, Confessions of a Medium. Yeah, the obstacle is the way. Yeah, yeah. which he drew from Marcus Aurelius' yeah. med, uh, meditations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The you know, Mister. Uh, no, it wasn't. He was Maximus. I'm getting confused. Yeah. <laughs> getting confused with Russell Crowe. Russell Crowe's in everything. No, Marcus Aurelius was the was the emperor that was alive at the beginning of gladiator that's right he was the wise son, one son kills him yeah what yeah that is that is marcus right yeah yeah there it is i knew it was there somewhere meditations is a great book i'm, I'm not sure if it talks about adversity i'm gonna have to it's, get it's that like one. the scotch of literature you, you read it slowly it was worth carving in stone no doubt yeah yeah absolutely <laughs> you know you got to you know, how else did it survive yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know right. it certainly wasn't on yeah, certainly wasn't on paper thousands of years but that so that's the thing right is if, if we were to survey everybody listening to this podcast, for instance, or particularly yourself or me, uh, you know, one of our highest personal values is probably growth. And therefore, if adversity throws up the most opportunity for personal and spiritual growth, then often in my sort of spiritual view of the word, I'm not a religious person, I'm a spiritual person, um, adversity is just the universe responding to one of our greatest requests, which is growth, right? You know, I asked the universe for growth, so it gave me challenge. Precisely. There's a line. There's a line in there. Um, a religion is for people who are afraid to go to hell. Spirituality is for people that have been there. <laughs> that is brilliant. I'm going to write that down as that's well. That's a goodie. That's a goodie. That is. Oh. Yeah. 
so you're at this very volatile time of your life. You're finishing high school. You're like, what do I do? You've had this enormous trauma. You've lost your brother. There's a lot of trauma at home. That's a, that's a very dangerous path for anyone. And mm. the nature of these things is that often, unfortunately, siblings will follow the other siblings down that dangerous path as mm. a way of coping. Mm. Mm. And then parents lose not one but two. Yeah. How did you – did you have a moment where you're like, I could go this way, I could go, I'll go that way? Did you have that moment? Was it yeah. ever – So this is – you know, sort of speaks to – uh, the, the value of adversity again, right, is <clears throat> I don't think what happens in our life is what shapes us. I think it's how we choose to deal with it, the meaning we choose to associate with it, and therefore who we become as a result of it, right? Um, you know, there's a fable where there's um, two brothers <clears throat> and their father was incredibly abusive. He was an alcoholic who was abusive to both their mother and them. And obviously these bro brothers grow up to be the fathers themselves. And one is incredibly abusive. He's an alcoholic. Uh, he's unsupportive to his wife. He, you know, is abusive to his children. And the other doesn't touch a drop of alcohol. Is incredibly loving. Creates an incredibly warm and supportive home. And he's incredibly brilliant for his children. And an interview goes up to the first father, the abusive one, and says, "You know, you've you've set up your life like this, and and it's obvious that the, you know there's things that are falling apart at home. What do you attribute that to?" And he said, with a father like mine, how could I have ended up any different? And he goes, okay, interesting. The interviewer is speaking to the second father, right, the one who's created an incredible home and is incredibly warm, uh, is an incredible husband, you know, incredible father. And the interviewer says, you've created an incredible home. What do you attribute that to? And he says, with a father like mine, how could I have ended up any different? Right. So it's the same father that they both had. It's the same event. It's the same upbringing. However, one of them associated the meaning, my father was like this, I am unloved, I am unworthy, I need to continue this cycle. Whereas the other one said, thought, um, my father was like this, I felt the pain of it firsthand, I have the ability to choose something else, therefore I will. Uh, and he did, right? And it's the same, you know, it's like if you take poker, for instance. Poker, you know, if you get a poker championship, there's often tens of thousands of people that start every worldwide uh, poker championship. But it's the same 25 or 30 people on the final table of 10 every championship. So are these people getting better cards every single tournament? Or are they just, do they know and understand, have they learned how to play them better, right? I don't think it's what happens to us, but how we choose to play it. That is a quantum leap, though, for so many people. Yeah. They, I know this firsthand. It happened to me. The, 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 the brain snap that I had to have to realise that my life is how my life is because of how I've chosen to deal with externalities. That's right. Before that, I was my life is how my life is because that's what happened, happened to, to me. me. <laughs> <laughs> how could it look it's almost impossible for some people to realize that their life is how their life is because mm. how they've chosen to deal with things mm, mm. because it's so for, for initially it's very painful to understand that yes you know but for me absolute freedom turned yes. up the moment yes. i went um oh that happened because i did that yes. oh okay yeah. Oh, this is this person is this way to me. What's my part in why this person is this way to me? Yes. And once I've taken care of my part, everything else, well, I guess that's them. Yeah. You know, but 
you'd be amazed how often if this person is uh, in a certain way to me, once I've addressed how I've been to them, that's changed right. instantly. Changed. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, it, you're right. What you said at the beginning, it can be incredibly confronting, right? When you start to adopt the belief that you are responsible and at cause for everything that's happening within you and around you, it's incredibly empowering once you get past the confronting nervous you know the oh fuck moment where you go oh jesus was yeah. oh that that was all me yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah it's beautiful yeah well it is. and and you, you say well i've said this on this show before the um the the easy way into it i find a way to ease yourself into it is of course you put of course in front of the thing that happened like i this is a beautiful coffee cup you've given me i uh i dropped it and smashed it mm. so not with oh well, uh, you know, if, of course I dropped it and smashed it. I was busy doing other stuff. I, was, I wasn't thinking properly, all right? Or I had a car accident in the rain. Of course I had a car accident in the rain. Road slippery. Um, I wasn't really paying attention, you know, rather than, oh, I had a car accident, this person's... Like, it's easy. If you, of course it happened because this, this, this. Like, when I lost, I lost a big radio job a few years back and that was it. I was unemployed for the first time in 20 years. And within 45 minutes, I was uh, on the phone to my mate and I said, well, of course they fired me. I'm 38 years old talking to 11-year-olds about Justin Bieber. <laughs> and, the rate, and the ratings are down. Of course I, of course I lost the job. The numbers are low. I'm the wrong demo. Of course. Of course they don't want to hire me. And, it, you know, sure I was unemployed, but it made it so much, you know, made it so much easier to, to be in that moment and it got me out of victim quicker than you can blink you know you know what i'm saying i know exactly what you were saying and that is an incredibly powerful tool to to get you out of victim yeah it is and put you yeah. in the seat it's not mine <laughs> where, where, where'd you get it i read i read it in a book i read it in a buddhist book it just kind of helps you get into that you know what's my part in it in a much easier way you know of course it happened of course i lost this you just put of course in front of the problem and it helps it you know kind of kind of go away but so you've had this moment when you were 18 am i blowing your mind that is what's happening i have never <laughs> learned so much being interviewed by somebody <laughs> in my life gosh i'm glad you're here brother mate i'm glad to be here i'm glad to be here um so but that, for me, that's an extraordinary moment in your life. You're at this nexus point that so many Australian men are at when they're 18. It's like, do I then just go, just Friday, 5 o'clock, first beer is cracked, yeah. Monday morning, 8 o'clock, 14 Nurofen and three cups of coffee to get to work. Yeah. Can't remember what happened in between. Yeah. All right? Yeah. Or do I do something else? That's right. And you did something else. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so the not-for-profit that my dad went and started uh, was called Breaking the Cycles. They'd take long-term unemployed youth off the street, put them through a three-month program, put them into jobs. They were the most successful job placement agency for long-term unemployed youth. That's a government term, long-term unemployed youth. I've uh, been that. It's tough. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In Queensland in the early 90s, it was like 25% youth unemployment. It was yeah, insanity. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, and they were the best out in the country. Government changes the way they issue capital out to not-for-profits. Breaking the cycle falls out of the new parameters, so the organisation collapsed. And breaking the cycle would take the worst of the worst. They could only see a certain amount of 1,000 kids a year. So people that were in and out of jail from abusive homes, uh, from, a, you know, uh, on and off drugs or on drugs. So these kids, and so this is when I was like 8, 9, 10, 
These kids walk in literally half dead, looking three quarters dead. And three months later, they'd be not different people, but they'd be more of themselves and they'd be wholer people. Yeah. And they'd go and they'd get a job and they'd find employment and they'd find a partner and they'd sustain it, mm. right? Um, and so what that taught me to, to, to come back to, to your question is um, people can change and the world is changeable and the world often in a lot of areas does need changing and we have the power to do that. Um, and so it was just you know, thousands of examples every single year um, being great human beings um, showing me that you can choose to live your life however you want to mm. and it will come down to how you choose to do it. I can't, you know, I'm... I don't know. <laughs> no, I don't know. I just don't want to... I don't want to dwell on it, so I won't. No, no. Um, so you, uh, you'd seen this and you'd seen your father speak about this and the path so often. So it was quite clear to you that, yeah. you know, there is, there is a way to go from this to that. And exactly. Yeah. Okay. When right. was university ever a thing? Because yeah. obviously you're going to the kind of school you're describing. Yeah. Uh, and I've talked about this on the show a million times. Um, it's just so entrenched yeah that's is the that path if you don't get into university yeah. your life is fucking over yeah. <laughs> that's right. and the day i didn't get into university i sat on my front driveway drinking a beer looking at my teeth ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. score that didn't have the number I wanted. I was going, yeah, yeah All I'd yeah. been told was that my life was going to be over. Yeah, yeah. That was very entrenched, as you say, particularly going to, to the school that I did. Um, so I actually I actually knuckled down in Year 12, and that's a whole other story I can tell you about later, but um, and uh, surprised myself at the score that I did get in that it was better than I had hoped and better than anybody had expected. Um, and so I actually got into law school. <laughs> You know, funnily enough. So I, to, to preface that, I was the worst student in high school. Like they should have got rid of me. My brother got expelled by four schools. I should have followed a similar path. I was really lucky because the, the school that I was at didn't get rid of me even though they should. Um, and so, yeah, so, so you, if, if you have the mark to get into law school, you go to law school, right? Like that's kind of just the assumption and this hangover that the world is still in from the days where university did sort of set you up for a successful career. Nowadays, the statistics tell us it doesn't. Um, and so I went uh, and I lasted about three months and it was too slow, too theoretical, too bored. 
um, just wasn't for me. I dropped out of uni uh, right before uh, the hex thing kicked in because mm. it was just like, to be honest, it was too hard. Mm. And I was like, no, this, isn't, this is not what I want to do and I knew it wasn't for me. But uh, I was in a part-time business communications course. Mm. Like, I wasn't mm. in anything serious like law. Mm. Did you have that heavily weighing upon you? It's like, oh, man, I'm supposed to stay in this. I'm in this. It should be a privilege. Uh, a little bit, but probably to a far lesser degree than most people. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, I, I, am, I am quite an independent thinker. And, I, you know, my dad used to call them OPRs, other people's rules. <laughs> and it was a really important lesson as a, as a kid. You know, like literally as a kid. Yeah, yeah. You, you know, mate, is that an OPR or is that true for you? Right. There's so, your T-shirt. Yeah. <laughs> There's your T-shirt right there. <laughs> and so, you know, I quickly determined that university was an OPR and it, and it just wasn't for me. It is for some people. Like it's yeah. incredibly positive for some people. It just wasn't for me. Yeah, but certainly in the States. I've, been, I've just moved back from America like three weeks ago. Mm. But certainly in the States there's research coming out that says like the amount of money they have to spend on a university degree isn't worth it oh, it's considering the jobs they get afterwards that's right and so many people are looking for 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 other ways um well, and that's that's the problem just to speak yeah. to that for a second yeah, yeah. Pre in previous generations if you went to university and studied a degree it guaranteed you not only a job but a career path in a particular field today the world has changed the rate of change is so fast and universities by virtue of their size and their bureaucracy just can't keep up with what they're teaching so there's a skills gap between what universities are teaching and what the world needs what that means is that 53.6, to be precise, percent of students, graduates, that come out of university, and only half graduate, by the way, but of those that do graduate, 53.6% of them are unemployed or underemployed, meaning they don't have a job or they're in a job that doesn't require them to have the degree they just spent years and tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars getting. Um, so it no longer works. The problem is that there's still this sort of paradigm that we hold culturally um, particularly previous generations, parents of up-and-coming generations, that still believe it is a guarantee of success, whereas the fact is it no longer is. And so when I was unemployed, what I was uh, speaking of before, I, just to speak to that, I thought, well, shit, I'd been dabbling in the startup scene, I'd gone up to San Francisco, I'd fundraised, mm. I, you know, I started to build something and then my marriage fell apart so everything stopped. Mm. Um, and of course it did. Um, but um, <laughs> uh, I thought, well, the next thing I do might not be television. So I'm going to have to skill up. So I looked around and I thought of doing an MBA and I thought of doing all this stuff. But I just didn't have two and a half years and I didn't have that kind of money. Yeah. Which is when this school in Amsterdam uh, surfaced. Uh, and it was a big investment, mm -hmm. cash investment on my part. But it gave me, like, it's a four-week on-campus course in Amsterdam, but an 18-month course. Mm. So there's a lot of remote stuff. Um, the first six months is teaching their modality of how they um, come up with creative solutions to difficult problems. And the last 12 months is a fully mentored activation of whatever it is you came up with in the first wow. six months. Wow. Um, what did I get out of that? In the first week, one of the guys that I was at a whiteboard with who was on my team um, he was a systems analyst for Airbus. Mm. So nerdy. Mm. German. We finished the first week and he turns to me and he goes, this is the first year of business school you have just done in four days. This is good. 
I was like, brilliant, money earned. What did I get out of that? I got not only the confidence that came with, you know, going toe-to-toe with, you know, PhDs, which I was, mm. I got an alumni network. Mm. Cost me a tenth of what a uni degree cost. Yeah. And four on-campus weeks in Amsterdam. That is beautiful. What was the university? Uh, it's, it's called Think, the Amsterdam School of Creative Leadership. I ended up pitching them that I come to work for them, so I've been working them for the last <laughs> year as well. <laughs> you dig them, man. You really like oh, them. Oh, They're man, interesting guys. Out. Yeah, yeah. But And the place was packed. Average age That's was uh, average age was in my class was thirty three. I think the average age is now thirty seven or thirty eight. It's a little older now, but it's a, it's it's people that are like either entrepreneurs themselves or entrepreneurs or people who, much like your father, went. You know what? Working behind a desk isn't it. I've got to get out of this yeah. cubicle. I'm going to go do something. Yeah. And things that can rapidly scale and rapidly disrupt. It's all. It's very much social entrepreneurship though. Yeah. It's very much. You know, how can we create rapidly scalable social change? Yeah. And make money. Hundred percent. Which, uh, you know, just to speak to your idea of people seeing that it's not valuable, or it's less valuable than it was mm. to do a three, four, seven year mm. university course. Um, you know, uh, you know, of, of course, people are going to other avenues. You know, that's right. And I don't, I don't care that I don't have a diploma that I can hang on my wall. No, nor does anybody else. <laughs> Tell me about that because so many people – I was in a doctor's office yesterday getting a dive medical so I'm going diving and the, she's just wall to wall with, you know, things. Oh, fair enough if you're a doctor. Yeah. But, you know, I care that my lawyer's got one. Yeah. Yeah, you don't want, you don't want heart surgery by someone that hasn't been to uni. Do I care that Uber's, you know, doesn't have a – do I care that, you know, Twitter never finished Stanford? Do I no. Care? no, I don't. No, Zach struck, dropped out of Harvard. You know, does it work? Facebook. It works. Great. That's on. right. In, so I've been in business for eleven years now. Uh, in my entire business career, I have never been asked in a professional context whether I have a university degree or not. Not once. And I've been asked a lot of shit. <laughs> I so have to get this podcast out the day the scores come out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, absolutely. Yeah. Because they, 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 yeah. I think it's a it's an empowering message that the world has changed. You don't need to hinge your life's hopes and dreams on on your TR or whatever it's called, your score. Um, and you're so much more than that, and you're capable of anything, regardless of what happens at high school. Some of the greatest, you know, I spent a lot of my time studying people that have changed the course of history forever. Where it's Michelangelo as a sculptor turned painter 500 years ago, or Einstein who rewrote physics 100 years ago, or Mandela, you know, more recently political activist and the vast majority of them um, didn't go to university, never came through a traditional stream, even a hundred years ago, right? Like Einstein couldn't get a job in academia. He wanted to be a teacher. He couldn't get a job. So he's a patent clerk, a patent clerk in a patent office in Bern, Switzerland. And he wrote four papers that changed the way we look at the universe and rewrote physics, you know, rewrote what Sir Isaac Newton had written 200 years earlier. And um, he, was a, he wasn't a scientist, he wasn't an academic, he was working six days a week in a dead-end job, he couldn't get a job as a teacher at a high school and he wrote four papers that changed the world forever and he was 26 years of age. You know, so there's no rules. <laughs> OPR. <laughs> OPR, mate, OPR. Uh, 
so which, which kind of leads me to a question. In this age of, you know, I see the, the kid, you know, she, she's on her phone the whole time. You know, I think, is her, by the time she gets to university, she's studying high school next year, by the time she gets to university, will her course be an absolutely bespoke, exactly for what she wants to do mm. um, curriculum that she can complete on that phone, mm. watch lectures, fully accredited, turn up for practical stuff and be done in nine months? You know? Probably, yes. Yeah. Will her kids, will their yeah. high school be exactly tailored for their, their aptitude mm. versus mm. this system which is based upon, I think it was Russian military training in the 1800s, mm. which was mm. designed to provide workers for the first industrial revolution and we're mm. still doing it. That's right. Makes no sense. No sense. Makes no sense at all. Now, you've disrupted the education space quite greatly. Um, what was the reaction from... Because you saw a need to, you know, and I would see it all the time when I was living in the States. I was like, geez, man, Australia, we really don't champion entrepreneurs like they do here. Mm. In the States, success, in fact, the potential of success is a currency. Yeah. Here, I certainly got the sense when I was growing up, I'm grateful it's different now. I got the mm. sense of stay in your lane, buddy. Stay in your lane. 100%. Stay in your lane. Christopher Scase, that's what those people end up like. <laughs> yeah, Alan right. Bond, that's what those people end up like. <laughs> that's exactly right. That's the messaging I got. Yeah, yeah. Entrepreneur was a dirty word. It still yeah. is for some older generations who still, you know, from that era. Yeah. What kind of – certainly as you've moved into this education space, what was the kind of uh, – what was the reaction from the uh, incumbents? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is my – Obtuse question, <laughs> you to a very pointed answer. Um, surprisingly, so, uh, so uh, from, from universities and things like that, we, we act very independently, right? And, and this is true of any, um, I think any individual or any company that does innovative work will often be outcast from the traditional incumbents, right? And, and that's true. The Einstein example I spoke about two minutes ago, if you look at Monet, you know, uh, you know he, had to start his own, he had to start his own art gallery in, and created what we now know as Impressionism because he couldn't get in, you know, the, the, salon, the, the art galleries at the time. The big one was called The Salon. Um, you know, Mandela couldn't get into traditional forms of government. So <clears throat> being on the outside, is often the best place to innovate and it's often the best place to disrupt. You know, I talk about something called uh, creative destruction, which is, you, you know, like sometimes a, a forest, if it burns down, is the best thing that can happen to the health and the rejuvenation of the forest, right? So nature has its own way of creatively destructing. The same is true in business in that... Um, Google's biggest threat is not Yahoo. Google's biggest threat is two guys in a garage with a bloody big idea, right? Because they'll push the envelope, they'll think, and they'll they'll outmaneuver. They'll be quicker. They'll be more flexible, you know, etc. So, uh, I, I, we, there hasn't been much um, reaction, if you like, and 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 a lot of that is they don't take you seriously until it's too late. Mm. So. But you've had the people that have gone through. Uh, the, the courses that you offer have had mm. 
great success. Well, the, and this is the thing, right? So we're, we're currently going through a, a bit of a branding process and everybody that we get in to discuss it says to us, you know, guys, if you look at the BRW Fast 100 list or you look at the BRW Fast Starters, if you look at all the lists that contain the fastest growing startups, the fastest growing companies, the BRW Young Rich list, the wealthiest people in Australia under 40, um, you guys have more people on those lists than any other education institution in the world. Do you realise that your alumni are stronger than everybody else? And we're kind of sitting there going, oh, yeah, you know. And so <laughs> it's just about bringing integrity back to education and educating people on what they really need to know about themselves and about business and about the world. Um, and so, you know, I think, I think we will be relatively disruptive in education in the coming 10 or 20 years, but nobody else sees it that way yet, which is probably a good thing. But if the... At the moment, you're only attracting people who are searching for that thing on the outside. All right? You're yeah. attracting people who are looking for the alternative path. I'm not going to say the quick path. Yep. How fast can I get a boat? No, that's, that's right. That's never going to work. No. Um, go and be a cardiologist. Yeah. Because that's pretty much it. Guaranteed. <laughs> yeah. Because heart disease is going to still be the number one killer until people look at how much meat they're eating. That's right. uh, so if you want your boat, go be a cardiologist. Yeah. But as far as... You know, the people look on the out on the outer, they're looking for an alternate path. Yeah. That, that's where you are. Once this this marketing says, Hey, see this rich list? That's us. Once that starts ex, ex, you know, attracting people who who don't have that, mm. you know, who are like, Oh, I was gonna go to, you know, QUT or I was gonna go to, you know, RMIT. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I'll go I'll go to Jack. Yeah. Go to the entrepreneur. You know, that's is that something that you are prepared to absorb? Is that something that, you know, yeah. those different personality types will be turning up? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a really good point. You know, for the first five years, we've had the first followers, right? So the, the, the people that are very entrepreneurial come to you, you know, and when you go... The guys have got the iPhone 6 yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. You know, you go, you, go, uh, you go a bit more mainstream and you start to get career-orientated people that might not necessarily want to start their own business. So we've just become a college. So we now deliver accredited programs. So we've got a diploma of business and entrepreneurship. In a couple of years, we'll be a higher education provider. So we'll offer a bachelor of entrepreneurship, perhaps a master's in entrepreneurship. And so we are broadening our scope so that we can reach and educate more people. So it's, it's just a different uh, metric, right, different criteria. So rather than looking at BRW Fast Starters or BRW Fast 100, you're looking at how many of them actually got employed. And I back us to um, be very competitive, if, if not outcompete, the other metrics that, that other education institutions are putting up when it comes to career outcomes. It's very, it's very exciting for me that when the kid finishes high school in six years from now, that you and your competitors will be there for yeah. her. Yeah. They'll be there for her as a, as a legitimate path not mm. an alternative path as a legitimate path to take mm. that's very exciting to me mm. that she'll graduate high school into a world where this sort of education is mm. available mm. that's real exciting for me it is a very good point <laughs> just so I, you know i was just laughing because i'm writing that down yeah it's, it's really, <laughs> well it makes seriously man it makes me think about a lot of stuff having this kid in my life um it really yeah. really yeah, does she's 11 and mm. i'm looking at the world and i'm looking at her opportunities and I'm looking at her, you know, the way society sees her, um, the, how I'd like society to see her, what opportunities will be available for her, what opportunities I can help make available to her. Um, 
yeah, it's it's exciting. It's also scary, but it's also exciting, and it's this, it's this drive that I see. My, I've kind of leaped ahead. A lot of my mates have got like little kids. Yeah, but I, you know, started early. I got no, no, no. My my girlfriend has a kid, and so I showed up, oh, and good. you know, then so now I'm like, I've got this beautiful kid in my life. Yeah, and I'm like, ah, oh, and this, I've got to tell you, mate, it overnight it went from oh you're my girlfriend's kid to I'm in love with you and have to protect and provide for you. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> what happened? <laughs> oh, fuck it, I'm moving back to Australia. I'm going to get this job. I'm going to get that job. I'm going to build this thing. I'm going to build that thing. Yeah. Talk about a game changer, right? Overnight. Yeah. It's beautiful. Overnight. Beautiful. Yeah. That's coming for you. <laughs> we've talked a lot about, uh, I don't know, your time's valuable, so I'm going to, I'll get out of here soon. Um, we've talked a lot about people who are on the, those, those people who are, I'm going to build my own thing. I'm going to build my own path. This path isn't for me. I'm, I'm going to drive it. There are people who listen to the show who are living in, uh, for example, in, like in country Queensland, you know, they, they are, you know, people living and they're managing a household. Um, there are people listening to this show who are in a desk job. Um, there are people who are, have the opportunity to not be entrepreneurs but be entrepreneurs and to create innovation and disruption within their own uh, scope. What would, you, what would you say to those people, how they can implement some of the things that have got uh, you and, and your, your client's success uh, into their lives? Yeah, so I think... Um I have a very firm view around this and, and I think it starts with this principle. Um, the future doesn't need to resemble the past. And I think that often as human beings, we envisage the future looking something similar to the past. However, it doesn't need to and our believing, it's, our believing it will makes it so, meaning the fact that we think the future will look like the past means that it probably will. And all it takes is for one person to come along and go, uh, this isn't working as well as it probably could and I've got a different vision um, and, you know, I've got a different idea as to how the future might look and I think that we can create it, right? And so, you know, w when I look around at a global, on a global basis, if we look at what I would call man-made structures, so the way we do economies is man-made. It's not written in stone. God never came down, again, I'm not a religious person, but God never came down and said, this is how you must do economies. The way we do politics, the way we run and manage corporations, the way we do education and academia, the way we do health systems and medicine, you know, all of these things are man-made, human-built structures. And the thing that I think is true today is that what the thinking and the strategies that have worked in all of those different fields, probably for the last 100 years, the thinking will not work in the next 100 years. So we can't approach the next 100 years the same way we have the previous. So... What is required and, you know, whether you're out to change the world or whether you just want to have a meaningful career and be a leader within a business, um, the most important thing is what I call blank canvas thinking. If you were to start again today, you know, one question I'm asking my executive team on a quarterly basis, if we were to start this business again today, what would we do? Because legacy can be great if it gives you something to stand on and it gives you some credibility and all that sort of stuff. But the minute legacy starts to inhabit and constrain your thinking then it can be counterproductive. So if, if you forget all of the legacy issues and go, how would we do this now? What's the best way to do this going forward? And reimagine what the future could look like, whether it's in your life, whether it's in your relationships, whether it's in your career, 
whether it's in what you have for breakfast, whether it's in what the world could look like 10 years from now, it doesn't matter. It, all it takes is someone to go, I think we could do things different and somebody to pursue that line of thought. Um, they will often be very innovative and disruptive. But you mentioned earlier the incumbents either don't take them seriously or mock them mm. or try to discredit them. Yeah. Like that hilarious sign at Sydney Airport that shows a girl by herself hitchhiking and it says ride sharing. It's the same as hitchhiking. <laughs> Taxi industry, I love you. Yeah. But if you want to compete, meet the market expectation for the product. That's right. All right. Yeah. That's yeah. pretty much it. Exactly. All right. I don't need to mention names, but we all know yeah. what we're talking about. <laughs> um, it's pretty much any no other industry. Yeah gets to say these things no. like you know you need to you've got to compete on the product so what what about you know the those people and how they're going to deal with getting mocked getting torn down getting uh look you're going to destroy jobs you know that's not australian you know mm. why do you like for example the, the the argument that befuddles me completely is when you know the you can't close this coal mine that's five thousand jobs yes you know, yeah you know how but you know are you even considering how much money we can make out of building renewable energy infrastructure and maintaining it? That's right. It's just insane how much money is there to be made. That's right. But this idea of incumbents trying as hard as they can to not make anything change by looking backward, by expecting the next 100 years to be the same. Yeah. What would you say to people about that resistance and how to deal with it? Yeah, so the first thing is just recognise it's inevitable, right? And, and this is why it helps to study people that have come before you. Uh, whether it's people that have changed the world or whether it's people that have had a successful career in the field that you're entering into, study them. Because as you say, it's guaranteed that they face resistance. It's guaranteed that they face criticism. And when you know who you are, you know where you're going, you believe in the future that you're trying to create, it becomes a lot less relevant. Um, and you know, the other thing is, is that if you're talking about entrepreneurs, um, I think there is, I think business can be a vehicle um, to make change and, and make the world a better place. And I think there's nobility in innovation. You know, if we look around, you know, just this room right now, the microphones that we're speaking into, the phones that are on the table, the books that are on the table, the equipment, the table, the chairs that we're sitting on, every single thing that we have in this room was made by somebody who obsessed over its development, right? And they wanted to make it perfect and they never made it perfect, but they made it good enough where they could sell it and give it to people and where it could touch people and enter people's lives. Um, and we forget that. We forget that innovators push the world forward. So it's the pursuit of progress um, that all, um, you know, future progress depends on. Is it also showing the people that are terrified of change that this is an easier way or showing people that are terrified of change that if you don't change, things are going to be bad? What's, what's in your experience, has been the more effective part? I, I, I don't spend a lot of time thinking about how to bring along the people that are resistant to change because the world will change. People can sit around and go Uber's bad but they're getting more market share than everybody else, right? We, we can sit around and, and yeah. So it, it, if, if your thinking is strong enough and if your ideas are accurate and your implementation is strong, then it will change whether people like it or not. Innovation doesn't wait, you yeah. know what I mean? And so it's often, so I don't think it's about convincing anybody, I think it's about being the example, 
yeah. push the change, enable the change, enable that future that you keep talking about and people's thinking will change the more familiar the future becomes. As in, oh, I see this, uh, I, I see Teslas everywhere. Oh, yeah, yeah. Maybe I might, this electric car thing's interesting and then five or six years when the price point drops, yeah. oh, I might get one of them. Exactly yeah. right. You know, it's no, talk about it on a very micro level, right? The minute Facebook changes anything, right, like they change, what do they change? Like, you know, there, there, there was a share button that didn't used to exist and like the wall, you know, didn't used to exist. There was a, whenever Facebook change anything, your news feed fills up with people going, oh, I hate this change, I hate this change, I hate this change. A week later, everyone's forgotten because now they're just familiar with what is while Facebook are working on what isn't yet. And then they'll introduce that and then everyone will complain, then everyone will forget about you know, so it, it, all progress depends on the innovator. Yeah. I've been, I've been to Facebook HQ. Really? I've, yeah, I've stood in their boardroom and uh, they didn't show me all of it. I saw a little bit of it, but I saw a bit of their back end. Fuck me. <laughs> the amount of data that they have about sentiment in society is astonishing. Wow. Astonishing. Keyword searches, yeah. sentiment searches. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's very interesting. Google's idea of don't be evil. Yeah. Fuck, they better set that in stone because you could seriously, you could, yeah. you could call elections, you could rig elections, you could yeah. do so much with that information. Yeah. yeah. And we're all putting it out there for free willingly. Yes. It's pretty wild. Yeah. Uh, yeah. All right. So rounding the home turn, you, as we sit in this beautiful home, if we were to... Uh, write a list of what success in a Western culture looks like. Mate, you are ticking all the boxes. You are. You've got a lovely car in the garage, you've got a, you know, beautiful partner, you a beautiful house, beautiful view, someone to help around. Things are amazing. Little dog. Little dog. Little bear. Beautiful little puppy. <laughs> Peas on the ground and you don't worry about it. Way too much. Um, at what point did the happiness arrive? That's a, a very good question. Um, it's because people always say, "When I get a new car, then I'll be happy." That's right. When I get the house, then I'll be happy. When oh, I get the partner, then I'll be happy. It's so true. The happiness arrives when you start living a life that is truly and vulnerably, authentically yourself, right? And I talk about this all the time. And it, and it's interesting, you know, the more material uh, success you acquire, the more you realise it really doesn't matter. And the more you realise um, that sort of you, you, you recognise the way other people see it. Um, and we have to be grateful, right? I, I have to be incredibly grateful for everything that, you know, has been created throughout my life and, and where we are today and all, all of that sort of stuff. So it, it's not coming from a lack of gratitude or a lack of appreciation. What it is to say is that... Um, what makes me happy and what I think makes a lot of people happy is progress, you know, growing oneself and seeing uh, the people around you grow. What makes us happy is connection and love and relationships and, in my case, innovation and uh, challenging the status quo and enabling other people to be more successful and grow into a person that they hadn't even previously imagined. That's what touches your heart, right? Um, the cars don't. They don't touch your heart, right? Um, so 
you know, the pursuit of finance is empty at best and hollow at worst, particularly when achieved, right? Because lack breeds obsession. So if, if you don't have something, you can convince yourself that life's about that, right? You don't have money. You, know, you think this pursuit is all about money. And then you start to make it and you go, oh, shit. The pursuit wasn't about money. It was never about, and I always knew that. You know, I wanted to be a politician initially because all I was ever interested in doing is changing education. Um, and then I realised politicians didn't do much, and it was often entrepreneurs and innovators that pushed civilization forward. And so that's the path that I choose to take. Um, but it's it's um, when you realise that it's not about the money, uh, and when you realise that it's about uh, creating connection for yourself and others. That's when happiness arrives. So if you were to, let's say, move 5Ks that way, um, still kind of a nice suburb, no view, got much less of a car in the garage, a bitter from the pound, not a lovely, you know, little cavoodle, um, yet you could still have, say, let's say the material stuff changed, you still had food and shelter. Um, so the material stuff changed that you were still able to make those connections and keep that innovation. Do you think that, that do you feel that you'd still be in this happiness space? Yes, I do. I still strive to get back here though. <laughs> so here's the thing. The, the wanting to make money is not a bad thing, right? It's not my primary driver and it never has been, but it's not a bad thing. You know, I, I, I see abundance as just another form of spirituality, right? It was Walt Disney that said, we don't make movies to make money, we make money to make movies. So I've got, you know, we've got at the Entourage a large vision. We want to push civilization forward by enabling more people to live on purpose. Our mission, you know, what we want to become, we want to become the world's number one education institution for entrepreneurs. In order to do either of those two things, we're going to need a lot of money because we, we're going to need to be global, we're going to need to have campuses all over the world, we're going to need to have the best education and entrepreneurial talent in the world. Um, and so all of that requires finance. And, and, and the more money that you're able to sort of build along the way, uh, the further your vision will travel. So it's not a bad thing. I just don't think it should be the primary driver. And this has been proven. The companies that start uh, for reasons other than money make the most money. And those that start just because they want to make money make less money, right? <laughs> the pursuit of finance is empty at best and hollow at worst. Okay, so final question. You mentioned living on purpose. What's that? Really good question. Um, so I think that uh, everybody who comes uh, to earth, if you like, um, comes called, comes for a reason. And I think that we can, through exploring two worlds, our inner world, our self, self-exploration, and through exploring the outer world, through travel or through doing different jobs or through meeting different people or having different partners or going to different parties, whatever it might be for any individual because every individual is so incredibly unique. But through exploring those two worlds, I think you can learn enough about yourself and the world around you to ultimately determine why you think you're here. And you don't get struck by lightning one day and you go, oh, now I know what my purpose is. You decide, right? You discover enough about yourself in the world to decide, this is why I think I'm here. This is what I think I can dedicate my life to. This is now my path. 
And so living a life on purpose is about firstly deciding on what you believe you're here to do and then living in alignment with that each and every day um, somewhat unapologetically um, and very independent, you know, with the level of independence that is required to honour how unique your purpose and your path should be. It's a deep answer. <laughs> Did you expect anything else? No, I didn't. And I think that's a fantastic, a fantastic way to, to end this conversation. Mate, I can't thank you enough for having me in your home and for this conversation. It's been really great. Mate, that was a very enjoyable interview. I'm glad we crossed paths. Cool, man. I just need uh, to take your photo. And then uh, we're out of here. That camera there. Done. Let's do it. Cool. Sweet. That was Jack DeLosa. You can find him on Twitter at J-A-C-K-D-E-L-O-S-A. He's also got YouTube channels. Ask Jack is very popular on uh, Snapchat. He's on Snapchat. He's everywhere. And... Um, I kind of, I'm, I'm a fan of what he has to say and I, I, I enjoy, I get a kick out of watching what he has to tell me every week and I'm grateful that I could bring this conversation to you. Uh, once again, Jack's book is out in just a couple of weeks, April 27, it's out. So uh, get on the train and uh, pre-order it now, reinvent-tomorrow.com. Uh, that page is live now and it's got everything you need to know about the book and how you can order it and uh, everything that Jack has put into this book is going to very much help you. I'm going to say that straight out loud because there's nothing I like more. And you've known on this show that I really like hearing how people who have become successful and stayed successful, um, I like hearing how they see the world because clearly what they're doing is working and you're sitting, like when you're sitting in a multi-million dollar waterfront Sydney Harbour home, you're like, okay, so whatever you're telling me has worked, uh, I might listen. So I hope you got that out of that. Hey, thanks so much for listening. Thanks very much to everybody that supported the show If on Patreon. If you want to support the show and get some exclusive episodes and there's some other rewards there as well, patreon.com slash O-S-H-E-R, patreon.com slash Osher. Okay, I'm going to have a Saturday night with the family. Love you guys. Thank you so much for listening. Until we speak next week, sleep well and dream of beautiful things. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.